Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. The first part of this message I have preached before. Uh, I know, I'm pretty sure I talked about it uh, when we were back in 1 Samuel on Sunday morning, so that's been a while. I've probably referenced it at least once since then, but I know I haven't preached this message. So I'm going to kind of race through it, even though I'm sure there's a handful of people who who have not heard it, and even those who've heard it, if it's been that long, it'll sound fairly new to you. But I'm going to kind of use it to set the stage for the second half of this. So you can open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is a story of David and Goliath. Anybody ever hear of David and Goliath? All right. I won't ask for a show of hands, those of you who have not. Uh, but we will start reading at uh, near the beginning in verse 2. What's happening, of course, is the uh, Israeli army is out, Israelite army is out there arrayed against the Philistines. And let's just read. We're going to read several verses, but not the whole chapter. Uh, beginning in verse 2, it says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's nine feet nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 126 pounds. And he he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 or 16 pounds. Uh, a shield-bearer went before him, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skip ahead to verse 17. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run up to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. David's brothers are in the army. They're serving under Saul. And he says, take this bread and cheese out to them and come back and tell me how everybody's doing. Now Saul, verse 19... Now Saul, and they, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the, hands, in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then, as he talked with them, There was the champion, 
the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dread, dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. They repeat themselves. What they tell him? That the king is going to enrich him, give him his daughter, and exempt he and his household from taxes. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. I always like to point out that that passage always grabs me because there's David who drops off the cheese sandwiches, goes to the front, talking to his brothers, and while he's talking to him, Goliath comes out, makes his boast, give me a man that we can fight together. And we heard his speech, I defy the armies of Israel today. Give me a man so that we can fight. And it's terrifying. This is a big dude. Hard to imagine that there would have been any one man who could take this guy. And David hears it. And David's response, we see, is who is he to defy the armies of the living God? But he says this after he hears them say, this is such a big deal, this guy is so scary, and it's such a, a, uh, an embarrassment for our army to hear this day after day that if somebody were to actually pull it off, the king would elevate this man. He'd make him rich, he'd, give, he'd marry into the king's family, and his whole household would be, his father's house would be exempt from taxes. And David said, wait, what? What will the king do? Because after all, and this is why I really think David had it in his mind, as soon as he heard Goliath talk, he thought, well, if nobody else will, I will. But he hears this stuff. And he asks, now tell me again, what will be done for the man who kills this giant? So they answer him like they did before. Then Eliad comes along. What are you doing out here? Uh, you're just you're here to see the blood and gore. Well, you know, who'd you leave those sheep with? And David's like, hey, can you blame me? This is interesting. This is exciting stuff. Then he turns his back on his brother, grabs another guy and says, say, tell me again, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And he answers him as before. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to look at some other things in the Word of God. And then we're going to come back to the, to the second part of this story, for the second part of the sermon. Uh, when I teach this passage, I always tie it in with the idea of benefits. David already was a man after God's own heart. David had already written Psalms as a shepherd, Okay. He knew God. 
He loved God. He trusted God. And we're going to see some examples of why he had this kind of bold faith here a little bit later on. But the point is, David was offended kind of on God's behalf when he heard the Philistine boast. What was his thinking? This is not just the army of Saul versus the army of the Philistines. This is the army of God. The armies of the living God have been defied by who? An uncircumcised Philistine. A man, I don't care how tall he is, how big he is, how strong he is, how heavy his armor is, somebody who does not have a covenant with the living God that our army does. Who is he? Who does he think he is to defy us? And so he has made up his mind. I am utterly convinced he's made up his mind that if nobody else is going to fight Goliath, he's going to. But he hears about some benefits if he does. And we have this false idea of uh, holiness or piety that some people would prefer to see David go before Saul and say, I want nothing Don't even think about enriching me. I don't want to marry into your family. I don't want my my father's house to be exempt from taxes. I just want to do this for God. But David, whose heart was so right toward God that that's how God described David, a man after my own heart, a man who was so close to God that even when he sinned horribly, God is still the one that says, because of my love for David, I'm going to continue to bless this nation for hundreds of years afterward. David is the one who said, tell me again what you're going to do. Tell me again what he's going to do. Because if I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well get the benefits that have been promised. With that in mind, look at Psalm 103. Maybe you saw this coming as soon as I said the word benefits. Just going to read the first few verses, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is one of my, I love this whole psalm, but that is one of my favorite passages. Bless the Lord, and we would, again, so many people, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, all that is within me. He forgives all my iniquities, and that's enough. And if that's all he did, would it be enough? Yeah, it would, because it would mean we still get to spend eternity with him. We still escape hell, but he doesn't just do that. He forgives your sins, He heals your diseases. He fills your mouth with good things. He renews your strength. Malachi, chapter chapter 3. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Who is saying this? God is saying this. Could he have stopped there? Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Why, God? Because I said so. 
because it's all mine to begin with, and I'm telling you, I bring a tenth of it back. Okay, but what's he say? And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Mark chapter 11. You can turn to all these. It's good practice. Or you can just let me read them to you. Mark 11, verse 23. The Jesus speaking. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Jesus says in, in John, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He says in Mark chapter 16, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. In Luke chapter 6, give, and it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There are commands and promises, commands and promises. And we are not, it's, it's, it's such a pattern and it's so often repeated that how can we ever fall into the trap of saying we're carnal if we look at the promises? God absolutely intends for us to expect the promise, to pay attention to the promise. You know, it's like, well, I'm just going to give and pretend I don't care if it's going to come, but in the back of my mind, I hope it comes. No, we give, and there's something intentional. Absolutely, we give in obedience. Absolutely, we serve, we pray, we do all the things we're commanded to do to honor God. But absolutely, in faith, that we will see the manifestation of what he promised. Now I want you to think about trouble. And I want you to think about big trouble versus small trouble. And uh, I, I was going to bring a visual illustration, but there, there are so many different things I could do. The only one I really could bring that was in my mind, I, I was going to bring one of Beth's shoes. I almost said Rainy's shoe, but Rainy has bigger feet than Beth now. So I was going to bring one of Beth's shoes and one of my shoes and say, which is the big shoe? Can you guess? Beth wears a size five and a half women's, and I wear a 13 wide Men's. So which is, who has the big shoe? I do, right? If you put my, but if you just put my shoe and my dad's shoe, dad wears a what? An 18. Which is the big shoe? And which is the small shoe? So do I have a small, small foot or a big foot? It's, it's relative, isn't it? Compared to my wife, I have a huge foot. Compared to my dad, I have a regular-sized foot. If I put a cup of water and a bucket of water and I ask you which is the big container, you're going to say the bucket. If I put a bucket of water and a barrel of water up here, I ask you which is the small container, you're going to say the bucket. We can look at a hut versus a house. And we can work, look at a house versus a mansion. And we could look at trouble and say what's the bad one, the cold or the flu. It's the flu. 
Then we say, what's the bad one? The flu or cancer? No, cancer. A hundred times out of a hundred, you'd rather have the flu. Unless you have the flu and you're in the middle of the flu, you might have a moment of saying, you know, I had it once. I've told you that story before. It was, it was horrible. Money trouble. Would you rather be a few dollars short the day your rent is due or have your car repossessed? Would you rather have your car repossessed or have to declare bankruptcy? Which is the big trouble. But now back up. We look at the cold and the flu and cancer and we don't compare those things to one another, do we? Compare them to what? The finished work of Jesus Christ and those stripes on his back. Go back to 1 Samuel. 17. And pick up in verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard... They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. And I'll start by saying this. If you had actually killed a lion or a bear, you probably would feel pretty ready to take on a giant. Because I don't care how big you are. Now, maybe if you're Goliath and you're armored like he is and you've got a long spear, you know, we talk about David's mighty men. One of them went down and killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's so random. But I had an encounter with a bear one time. Uh, was, uh, we were wrapping up our two-week training up at uh, Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, and we were, I think it was our last, last day in the field, but I know we were having some communication problems, and we are trying to figure out what's going on with the radios, what's going on with the field phones, and my first sergeant pulls up in this Jeep, skids to a stop, and says, Sir, they got a bear in the commo tent over at, the, over at Battalion. Do you want to go see it? I said, Yeah. So I hop in the Jeep with him, and we go peeling out over there, and and we stop, and we're walking up this trail, and the battalion staff is standing maybe from here to the doors. And there's a trail about where the sound booth is. And we start walking up toward the staff, and they're saying, come this way, but be careful. The bear is right down that trail. So when we get to the trail, get up to about where Jake is, I look, and about to the end of the row, there's a bear, a uh, female black bear eating an MRE. Uh, it's got, he'd, he'd gotten into the tent and pulled somebody's meal out, and he's got this thing torn up. She's got it. And so uh, first sergeant and I are walking side by side. He goes walking ahead. I stop. I sling my 
my M16, which has nothing but blanks in it, over my shoulder, and I pull out my camera. Click, and as soon as I click, that bear, which was peacefully eating, looks up and goes, does that kind of, where its whole body tensed, and it just gave a bark, kind of a bark. You know, It wasn't a stand-up, it didn't have to be. This peaceful bear suddenly looked five times as big when she just looked at me and went, Because when she did that, I went, <laughs> and here I'm acting all cool, you know. Click, and all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> and everybody up, you know, all the stab, battalion staffs up there laughing at me. Oh, yeah, look at Rambo down there. So I go running up to him, and, and, and it, 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 I'll tell the whole story, but at one point, this bear came up to us. We're all online, and we couldn't turn around and walk away because there were two cubs up in a tree. And she came up and sniffed us, I mean, rubbed her nose up against us. And this was not a huge bear. I don't know what it weighed. But it was, I mean, it was a full-grown black bear. It wasn't tiny. And I know it could have killed us in a heartbeat. could have killed me. I couldn't, I couldn't, I had nothing. I really wanted to be armed so badly at that moment just in case things went bad. I don't know what, any, what we would have done. But the scariest moment was when it was still from me to Bill, and it just tensed up. And David, I don't know what kind of bears they have over there, what kind of bears they had back in the day. A bear big enough to carry off a lamb in its mouth is probably bigger than the one I saw. David went after it. And a lion, too. I've also had the privilege of being up close and personal with a young tiger, not a wild one in this case. Thank God it was domestic and it had its claws removed. Uh, but I can remember, and this thing, I think they told us it weighed about uh, 200, 250 pounds. It was, this was a Canaan land. Brother Mac thought it would be a great idea to have a tiger and take this tiger into schools and talk about how cute and cuddly it looked, but how dangerous it really was, just like drugs. And uh, turned out not to be a great idea for reasons I won't go into later, or until some other time. But I can remember getting down and kind of playing with this thing. And it was a pretty laid-back tiger. You know, it was, it was pretty amazing watching this thing eat. Because when you fed it, you fed it two whole chickens. Not live chickens, but just, you know, get chickens out of the meat case. But bones and all. And he would chomp, you would break the bones, chew them up like it was nothing. Eat it, bones and all. And uh, those are some powerful jaws. And he still had his teeth. But you'd get down, and you'd play with this thing, and he'd just kind of have his eyes closed, and you could grab his face, and you could kind of play with it. And he'd be there like he just didn't want to do anything. All of a sudden, he'd go, whap! And he'd bring a paw up and smack and like, knock your head off. He bloodied my nose. He bloodied my lip more than once. And uh, things are just powerful. And he had no claws. I'm thinking David went after a lion, took it by the beard, and struck it and killed it. And when you've had that experience, it emboldens you. And these are his bona fides when he's making his case. You know, Saul, you know, he's got to think about this too. He's like, you know, you're going to get out. There's a lot on the line here. You're going to go out there and represent us. You can't fight him. He's not just trying to protect David. It's like, you're representing our whole army out there. If you lose... It's going to embolden them. They're going to come over here, and we've kind of made an agreement. We'll be their servants. This single combat thing had, had a little bit more to it than that. But 
he's saying you can't do it. You're, you're, you're young. He's been a warrior since he was your age. And David says, David's just making this case. I've got experience that a lot of your guys don't have. Uh, your guys might have fought men before, but how many of them have killed a lion? How many have killed a bear? I've killed both of them, and I was out there by myself. And I did it for sheep. Now I'm doing it in, in, in front of the whole army, in front of the king. I'm not afraid of this guy. But here's what I love that he follows it up with. After he said, let's read verse 36 again, your servant has killed both the lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It's almost like he took a step back. He started off by saying, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. And then he said, you know what? It was God that delivered me. I was there, God killed the lion, God killed the bear. He just used me to do it. He emboldened me. He's the one that empowered me to do it. And if God can help me kill a lion and a bear, he can help me kill this man. It's a pretty good argument. And it convinced Saul. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Because I ain't coming. What's the difference? And we know the story. You know how this turned out, right? You can go home and read it tonight, but spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. He runs out there, and they're talking the whole time. Saul, you know, this, uh, Goliath is like, well, you're coming to me with, with rocks like you're fighting a dog. And, and David says, you come to me with a, a spear, and I come to you in the name of the Lord. And uh, slings his stone, sinks into Goliath's head. Down he goes. David goes and takes Goliath's sword, chops his head off, and the Philistines flee. It's beautiful. But David, who had killed the lion and the bear, and this is a lesson I heard my dad give, share this half a dozen times. This is my dad's favorite Bible story. Everybody else saw Goliath compared to themselves. David saw Goliath compared to God. Goliath is nine foot nine, and he's carrying hundreds of pounds of armament, but that is nothing compared to what God brings to the table. When we look at our debt, whether it's we're behind on rent, our car's being repossessed, or we're declaring bankruptcy, when we're looking at our disease, whether it's a cold the flu, or cancer? Are we going to compare what we have with another disease? Are we going to compare what we have with what medical science can do? Or are we going to compare what we are fighting with what God has already done? God is bigger than all of that. And that needs to be our response, our first response to trouble. The comparison is not, it, it's, it's so important, so, so important to remember this. We look at the things that Jesus did. He fed the thousands. Did that twice. I was reading that the other day, and I forget which book I was in, because this is recorded in more than one book. But, you know, they're in the boat, and uh, he tells them, this is after a discussion he's had uh, 
before they got in the boat. He tells, he tells the disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of Herod. And he's talking about bad doctrine. You know, the leaven was representative of sin. He says, you, you, you listen to their ideas too much and it's going to poison your thinking. It's going to poison your belief about everything. But he uses the word leaven. And it says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. They forgot to bring anything to eat for their journey in the boat. And as soon as Jesus said leaven, they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. He knows, and he's upset. And Jesus, either overhearing them or just being Jesus, he knew. He says, why are you talking about that? Do you really think I'm worried that you didn't bring bread? And he asks them, do you remember (laughs) when I fed the 5,000 people? How much was left over? And they told him, this many baskets of bread and fish. How about when I fed the 4,000? And they told him. They remembered how much was left over. Then how could you possibly think I'm worried <laughs> about whether you bought bread? It's like he had to remind them, do you think this is just some trick I did once or twice and I got nothing left? I can do this whenever I want. Whenever we need bread, there's going to be bread. He fed the thousands. He cast out demons. And it wasn't just somebody who seemed a little off. I'm thinking of the madman of Gadara. You know, he's running through the tombs naked, cutting himself, howling at the moon, and scaring a whole village away. And Jesus goes in and just kicks him out. A whole legion of demons. He healed the sick. He healed every degree of sickness, every type of sickness. He healed the multitudes, and he healed them all. And... He raised the dead. He raised the dead. It's like, well, how bad a sick person could Jesus have healed? Well, we see some pretty extreme examples. Lepers, paralytics. And he healed them all. But a couple times, they were just too far gone. They died. And he raised the dead. He had all of this power. All of this power. And he still went to the cross, laid down his life on purpose. Can you, can you see, when you see what he could do with bread, with fish, with people, with life and death and disease, you see what he had at his disposal. Do you see how powerful a statement it is when he said, no man takes my life from me. I'm laying it down. You would have no power over me except that the Father's given it to you. He went willingly to the cross and died so that we could be reconciled to him. Stand up as I make this last point. God loved us so much, loves us so much that he gave his son and Jesus willingly went to the cross and died. Why? So we could be forgiven, so we could be washed clean from our sin, so we could be made righteous. And that's enough. In Romans 8.32, it says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
I think we need to be like David. Wait a second. You're going to give me what? We do ourselves no favors. We do our families no favors. We do our church no favors. We do our community no favors. If we say, I don't need all things, God. You've forgiven me and that's enough. God's like, well, I'm giving you all things for a couple reasons. Son, daughter, yeah, I love you. And, and I, it's my pleasure to give you all things. But you're going to need the all things to do all the things I'm commanding you and sending you out to do in this world. So don't refuse those things. Receive them by faith. He loves you, wants you to have them, ask for them, expect them when you pray. This is our privilege as believers. Let me ask you tonight, are you a believer? Are you in the family of God? Do you qualify for these promises? All these benefits that are ours as believers do not, they they are sadly not benefits of the unbeliever. They are for the sons and daughters. So I'm going to pray a prayer here. If you need to give your heart to Christ, come up here. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.